I don't know what just happened, but uh, my voice just cracked during that second song, and it just went downhill from there. I want you, please, to turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis. <clears throat> the world has just endured a great judgment by God in the flood, and in the midst of that, uh, eight people were delivered, uh, Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. And having spent a little over a year in that ark together with the animals, uh, having landed on Ararat, they disembarked and, of course, offered to God their sacrifices. And we were given some instructions about, we know about rainbows now, the sign that God will never destroy the earth by a flood again. Very precious promise, hijacked as most things in God's word are hijacked by the world to make them into evil things. Um, but the rainbow is a God's promissory note of a covenant. Uh, and along with that, we have an instruction, actually preferencing before even the uh, instruction about the rainbow, look at the rainbow, um, is what life will be like. It'll be different this side of the flood than the other side of the flood. And among those things that are going to be different is your the number one thing, and pretty much that God confronts them with, and um that they're going to be having a different diet. And so we find that uh, verse chapter 9, verse 1, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the air and, everything move, and all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea, and they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will require it from the hand of man. Uh, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful, multiply, and bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and said to his, son, to his sons with him, please notice, we have been speaking to Noah, now we're going to shift to Noah and his sons. As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, all that uh, go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you, Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And then the introduction of the sign. So we have here uh, a clear delineation to Noah that you are walking out of the ark, not just with a cleansed earth, but a different kind of earth and even a different expectations. Prior to this, um, eating meat was abhorrent. It, was just, it wasn't, nobody did it unless they were doing it out of evil, 
Uh, remember, men did whatever was right in their own eyes. And among that, some have speculated that this was one of the things they did, um, including not only eating of meat, but eating of uncooked meat and of drinking of blood. And so Jesus, or God, comes up to Noah and says, now you're coming out of the ark before you only ate vegetables. Sound familiar? We know about that, right? Vegan. They were at a vegan diet. Is it vegan or vegetarian? I don't know which one's worse. Which one's more vegan? More, more vegan or, or more strict than vegetarians? Vegans don't. All right. So they're probably more vegetarian because they would have drank milk, I'm pretty sure. Um, and so we find that they come off the ark coming out of this backdrop where it was sustenance was supplied by plants. It's a plant-based, completely plant-based diet. We come off the ark and we're into a different kind of world. And we know what this world is like because we've been raised in this world. And it is the world we know, but it was a world that Noah didn't know. It was different than, it. the seasons are going to be different, there's going to be, uh, the terrain is going to be different, and your whole relationship with creation is different. And now God instills something, and that is the fear of man into the animal kingdom. And also, rightly, they should have a fear of man, because man is now given permission by God, and in fact, command by God to eat them. So that's a good reason to fear things when, you, they want, when their object is to eat you. Um, it's a good idea to fear them. And so God instilled that into them. And so when we talk about Noah gathering the animals to, for the ark, and he didn't really gather them, they just came to him. Um, but there was no fear of man because there wasn't a relationship of predator and prey uh, there before them. And the likelihood is there was no relation of predator and prey among the animals themselves. There's an indication that they were all herbivores as well, all of them. And thus, that, that whole relationship of predator comes into play after the flood. And so we come into this command, and we have this instruction, is that I have given you all things to eat. Everything that moves shall be food for you. Um, and so that's a pretty broad-spectrum diet, isn't it? Everything that moves and everything that is an herb, a, a green plant. And so that's a pretty extensive breadth of sustenance, one single prohibition remains, and that is do not drink blood. And that doesn't mean you can't have a rare steak, because that's not, that's ajus you're really dealing with, but it's that whole idea that it will be cooked, and it will be properly drained of blood. You're not going to just rip a thing open and just eat it in that condition. And so that is the prohibition, because life is in the blood. And we talked about that when we talked about the origins of life, and in our earlier segment on, um, on when does life, when, when is conception, when does life begin? And the Bible says life is in the blood. And so again, this prohibition, and this prohibition was never taken away. This is before the laws of Israel, right? And so when Jesus says, I have come to complete the law, and, and, that, and we have Peter saying, rise, kill, and eat, and these are unclean animals, and all of that, um, we're backing ourselves up not um, to, to eliminate all uh, the laws require, uh, regarding meat, but only the, mo the Mosaic laws. 
So we're really back to this law. And this is a law that is still on us today. Um, and in fact, in the Jerusalem Council, when they were saying, what are we going to re do require of these Gentiles getting saved? Well, uh, on the list of things they said, well, you, you, know, you don't have to keep the law, but one of the things on that list was, in addition to immorality, is do not eat the blood. Refrain from, not, from, from eating blood. That we're not going to consume that. And so we have that provision there. And so we have that requirement because the life is in the blood. And so keep from that. Uh, keep yourself from that. And so we drain animals of their blood and we cook their meat largely. And I know there's sushi out there. I'm not going to even get into that. Um, but we, we make that understanding. Life is in the blood. We want to not um, dishonor the author of life by consuming it. So we have, this is our diet now. This is what we are called to. And uh, this correlates with what we've been talking about of having this balance, but recognizing that this is God's ordination. This is God declaring this to be fit and proper. And some have related this, well, this is when light, man's lifespan started to shortening up. Um, but that wasn't the only thing that was different in the world. Um, the entire climate condition, the, everything is different. And so we have a very different kind of world today. Uh, there's no evidence of any deserts prior to the flood. And so when we think of that, and that's why when we look at uh, how do we have the, all of these fossils of all this plant life in Arctic regions, well, because... There wasn't that prior to the flood. I'm convinced of that. And so uh, we have certainly from the book of Enoch describing a, a, a wall, a barrier, but um, to, to, uh, to the south, but it doesn't describe anything in the north. And so in the Arctic regions is all there. And when we find this description of life, we recognize that the whole earth had dramatically changed. There isn't a mist that covers the earth anymore for watering. We have to have rain. We have to have this water cycle that we learned in, in earth sciences, right? You have evaporation, condensation, rain, rivers going out into the oceans, evaporation. We have to have that water cycle, right? Um, prior to that, all, there was no oceans. There was just streams described and a mist that covered the earth for watering. And so... Um, this is a whole different world that Noah is stepping into. And now he has responsibility to his sons. Bring your sons in here. We're going to establish a covenant there with him. I won't destroy you, but realize you're still under some regulations. And that regulation is given there um, that uh, you're not going to drink the blood. Of all the things that God could have told Noah, of all the evil that they might have carried over with them from the prior world, okay, because the world was wicked, right? I mean, there was wickedness on the earth to the point that God says, I want to destroy them all. And only Noah is righteous, and so because of his righteousness, God saves not only him, but seven of his family members as well. And so Noah's only, and you think, well, there's going to be lots of rules now because they've been exposed to all this wickedness prior to the flood. Certainly God's going to give them a whole list of rules uh, to keep them from violating like they were prior to the flood. And the only rule we have is don't drink blood. 
Doesn't that catch you as kind of strange? You know, eat everything now, but don't drink the blood. And this is, of all the moral things we could look at prior to the flood um, that could be wrong, we have giants in the land, we have angels cohabitating, the fallen angels, the men, and all the horrible things described there. Um, of all the things that God wants to communicate to him, the first thing he says is, all right, you're going to eat meat, but don't drink the blood. That's it. And now I'm going to have a covenant relationship with you. And so um, this is a sign of the covenant, and that's the extent of it. <clears throat> Be fruitful and multiply is reiterated, and do not commit murder. Um, if you kill a man, your life is going to be required. And that's it. That's a pretty brief little legal system there, right? Don't drink blood. Don't kill anybody. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Multiply in it. And so we have this, uh, and again, that one was a reiteration of what we had in the garden. And so the garden again, you, of all the plants you may freely eat except for the tree of life. Now we have, of every living thing, moving thing, you can freely eat, just don't drink the blood. You see the correlation? Very similar. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, multiply in it. And so here's the command of Noah. And so when we talk about providing for our children's physical well-being, um, we want to have a good foundation that's biblical and we're not going to go to the food laws of Israel because they're not applicable. Okay, that is very clear. Jesus Christ says, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but it comes out. So there is no spiritual benefit to keeping to the food laws of Israel. <clears throat> I often ask people, do you think that, that uh, Abraham ate pork? There were no food laws except don't eat the blood. Every living thing, every moving thing. Um, what was required of Abraham? What, what law was added to Abraham as a sign covenant of the Abrahamic covenant? What was added? Circumcision, that's it. Now, was there an understanding of what were clean animals or were acceptable sacrifice? Yes. And that was in the ark environment where God says you're going to have seven of each of these animals that are sacrificial animals. So certainly you could interpret that and say, well, these are clean animals. I should be eating these because these are the ones that God wants me to sacrifice. But that's not what God said. You get off the ark, and God says, of everything that moves, you can freely eat. Just don't drink the blood. So why are we covering this? Well, we tried to be very balanced, and I hope you've communicated that. Uh, in our provision for your, your children in their diet and in their uh, material needs that we need to recognize that there's a balance point and that we go to the scripture and I've got people that are trying to redo the here, here's what I've been encountering my years of as a pastor I've had families that are basically trying to keep the Old Testament food laws of Israel and they're appalled that I would have bacon even in my house, you know, and they're offended if I have them over and they, I, if I don't, you don't keep a, you know, no, I don't keep a kosher kitchen, sorry, I didn't know we were Jewish. Um, and then I have others that, including some of my own family members that wanted to even do better than that, we're going to go back to the Garden of Eden diet. And I was like, but you don't live in the Garden of Eden. 
Um, why are you going back to a diet that isn't appropriate anymore? Okay, the Garden of Eden diet is of every tree you may freely eat, except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, we don't live in the Garden of Eden. And so this is the instruction of God in the world we live in, is to say everything that moves you can freely eat. So am I, uh, and again, we have the, re, the statement in Romans, and I know that doesn't really have to do with health issues. It's more of a spiritual issue, but it is very evident that it says, you know, if you, have, if you can't eat meat because you're, you're just a weaker brother and little in faith, and I know that that's associated with idol, idol worship, that they couldn't make the distinction there, um, but it still somewhat applies, and you realize that no Israelite, no Israelite could be vegan, right? You could not be a practicing Israelite and be a vegan. Not possible, right? Yeah, you have to eat the Passover lamb. You have to eat your sacrifice before the Lord. There are several sacrifices you had to bring, and you had to eat of it. If you are a priest in Israel, you couldn't be a vegan because you had to eat out of the sacrifices. That was where your food supply came from and the grain offerings and the drink offerings as well, um, the table showbread, all those kinds of things. And so when we begin looking at a biblical concept here, it's much more balanced and, and there's a lot of liberty. And that's what I want to get at is the liberty here. But I also want to move us down from provision for our children down to example in our diaper of growing in stature. Because we also have, an example cuts both ways. There's positive examples and negative examples. And I've chosen a negative example because it correlates right here with this new dietary law in this new world, which is actually for us the old world, the world we live in. And so let's just jump uh, down a little bit. Um, we, we get a reiteration of the sons of Noah. Uh, verse 20. Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, Canaan uh, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it, both their, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah woke from his wine knew what his younger son had done to him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, the servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So, Noah becomes a farmer. What was he before that? <laughs> Carpenter, shipbuilder, preacher. All right, but he says he began to be a farmer uh, at, at this point in his life, that that was something he initiated, uh, which would seem, so he's going to cultivate the land, uh, and I would have to believe that farmer not only means cultivating land, but also raising animals, and uh, this is a good heritage, by the way, so um, it's possible, some people said, well, no, he was just cultivating land and kind of dis a statement of disobedience. It doesn't say that. Farmers um, have, cultivate soil as well as raise animals. 
And so we're not going to distinguish between the line of Abel and the line of Cain. Remember, what was Cain's deal? I'm going to serve God through my fruitfulness, my own fruitfulness. I'm not going to give a blood sacrifice. And Abel brought a better sacrifice as a sacrifice of faith with the shedding of blood. And so one was a keeper of sheep, and the other one was a tiller of the soil. And you might say, well, did Abel ever eat the sheep? No. So what do you raise sheep for? If you don't eat them. Clothing. So one was raising clothing, one son was raising clothes, because you're naked, you don't want to be naked anymore, because now you know good from evil, and the other one's raising food. So food and clothing, the two essential provisions were being taken care of by Cain and Abel uh, under the direction of Adam. And so uh, we have that, and, and the sacrifice was not about choosing one over the other, one food supply over the other food supply, it was about a blood sacrifice. Without shedding of blood, there's no removal of sin. So we come here, and, and he becomes a farmer, and he has a vineyard, and he makes wine. All right, so what does it take to make wine? Grapes. All right, so we have grapes. you got to raise grapes. So you got a vineyard, so you got grapes. But is that all it takes? It takes some yeast and time. Okay, it takes a little time to turn that stuff, and especially if you want it to be strong enough for you to get drunk with. And a lot of people believe that this that Noah was not understanding the nature of alcohol, um, whether that's true or not, we're not told. Um, he made wine, he partook of, he drank of the wine till he was drunk. And so we, and this ends up being a problem in his family. Surprise. The first time someone gets drunk in the Bible, it's a problem for the family. It brings a, a, a place of embarrassment and shame upon him, and it brings a curse upon one of his grandchildren. And so when we talk about being an example to our children in the area of growing in stature, um, we recognize, hopefully, that your children are much more aware of what, and more impacted by how you eat and how you live, how you exercise, how you dress, how, what you value, than what you say. And so our children pick up very quickly what is important, what are values, uh, what, what's um, are cars valuable and important, and is it important that we have this fancy car? Um, or are clothes important, and you have to have this certain style? And we are basically, by our example, whether we say anything or not, we are communicating to our children uh, a standard of living and expectation of what material things should be provided for them. And we are raising discontented children most often by our example. And here Noah, by a negative example, by uh, an overindulgence in a product that can be consumed without overindulging. Would you agree with that? You can drink it without overindulging getting drunk. It is possible, especially biblical wine. <clears throat> the Hebrew word for wine there is not the word for strong drink. A strong drink would be comparable to what you think of as wine. This is usually watered down a little bit. And, um, or substantially sometimes. 
And so um, he gets himself uh, drunk. He's overindulged. He's not exercised self-control, and it's going to be a disaster for this family. And we need to take that kind of warning to heart in our example to our children in the area of growing in stature. Uh, and so when I have families that, well, um, you know, they're, the, the parents are participating in this, 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 and we go through all these vices, you know, they smoke, they drink, they chew, they go with girls that do. Um, that was an old adage I grew up with. I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. And so um, we don't participate in tobacco. We don't have alcohol. We don't have... And, and, of course, we replace that with even something stronger of all these other foods. So we communicate that. And when the children are exposed to that in the home, um, they're already addicted to those things. Um, they're already uh, tied into them. They, they become second-hand to them. And so when we bring a family in and we're trying to break these cycles of sin, so why, why does it keep coming up generationally? Um, even when the gospel comes into a home, why can't we get alcoholism out of this family? Why can't we get um, these other addictions out of the family? Because we have ingrained it into them. Uh, and so when a child comes in here, they don't have to be, have direct access to marijuana to be addicted to it. Yes, secondhand smoke of marijuana is also addictive and affects, and affects them. They already have it in their system. If it's in the home, it's in their system. And we found that out with a lot of those that were mixing up their drugs at home. And, uh, and our lawmakers finally realized this is child abuse. Well, we need to recognize that that's what we're doing to all of our children in terms of what we are consuming in front of them. And say, well, I'm not letting them drink this. I'm not letting them smoke this. Well, you are indirectly and I remember watching my own cousin um, you know his dad my uncle sent him in for a beer go bring me a beer out of the fridge and so in he runs to get his beer and he cracks it open on the way to dad and he takes a sip and hands it and before he gets outside and dad doesn't see him but he gets a sip of every one of dad's beers that he goes and fetches how old is this kid 10 so don't tell me they don't drink it they don't consume it. They don't, they're not affected by it because it does. And so our example matters extraordinarily. Um, it's hard enough to get your child to uh, eat and exercise and, and dress and all these things properly in a biblical fashion because they have so many influences from the world trying to bend them to that. They're having the commercials. They have the media. They have their friends, their peers, trying to say this is what you should look like, this is how you should. And if we um, are the influence that's bending them away from biblical lifestyle choices, um, well, we're doing a great damage and great injury. Uh, we're really the bastion. And many times the, what we call the generation gap is really this child discovering that mom and dad have a different life than the rest of the world. And the rest of the world wants you to join them. And a child has to make a decision. So how do we help our children go from um, just 
thinking that everyone lives the way we live, everyone eats the way we eat, everyone you know, exercises the way we act, everyone dresses, everyone shops the way we shop, to realizing all these other choices are out there. Now, that might happen at different times. If you're homeschooling, that's not going to happen till what? 10, 12, 13, 14 maybe, depending upon how sheltered you have them. With social media, it opens up even a lot earlier than that. Okay, typically we think of when they go to school, then they're going to be exposed to all of these. When they get to their neighbor's houses and, and they get to expose to how other people live and shop and things. For my kids, I think, I don't know when, when was it when you guys suddenly realized that this is really abnormal, this house, like five public school. My kids did go to public school for a little while to realize this is not normal. Um, well, now we have a choice. Your child has authority to make a choice, but you have responsibility to give them a thorough example. And with that example, to give them the instruction. It's not just that this is the way we always do it. When a child asks, why are we eat, why don't we, why don't we do this? Why don't we eat that? Why don't we wear, why can't I buy this? Why can't we wear, why do we have to wear these run-down hand-me-downs? What? And they're complaining, which is sin in itself. They're complaining about all this, well, and they're asking these questions. It's not a good enough answer to say, because that's the way we do it around here. Um, I tried very hard on most occasions not to give that as an answer to our children, but to explain to them the choices that their mother and I have made of how we're going to live our lives and why we do what we do. That, we, that we're seeking to glorify God, we're seeking to have biblical principles in place, and that we are going to require it of them as long as they are under our authority in the home. And if you want to live differently when you get out, that's fine. But now you're going to have to live with that. But while you're here and while you're under my authority, this is our choice. And these are the principles we live by. Um, you cannot force your children to accept your principles of life, your lifestyle choices. And yes, your diet, your dress, your material goods that you keep and, and cherish, um, are well known to them. I could ask them what dad's favorite tool is, um, what is really important in the house. I could go to your children and say, what does mom really care about in the house? They know what it is. How do they know? <clears throat> yeah, they know which things get them in the biggest trouble. And if they even get close to it, no, 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 don't go, no, no, no. And they are in there, you know, startled out of their skin to get away from that object that's precious. They immediately understand that's of great value to my mother or this is of great value to my father. And especially here, parents, especially when it comes to mom or dad. And sometimes children think that some things are more precious to their dad than their mom. We're not just talking about food. We're talking about things you have, your possessions, because that's part of growing in stature, is all the physical things around us, our clothing, our, our, and in our world, all these other things. And we, we've talked about contentment, the necessity to maybe provide less, uh, which might be more biblical than providing so much. Um, but they know what's important to you. They know what you and your, and your spouse are, that creates tension 
in your relationship, which to them often looks like, well, this is more important to dad than even mom is. This is more important to mom than my dad. You know, because they're going to fight over anything that you're going to fight over in front of the children, they're going to associate and recognize, well, this is something of value. And so when we look at the examples that we're supposed to be, um, we need to be consistent in that with our teaching models. So if we're going to teach contentment, we're going to show them contentment. We're going to teach them modesty, we want to show modesty. And in fact, I would continue to need to show modesty first as the mechanism to teach it. So that when they come and say, why? We'll say, because I want to be modest. I want to be content. Why? Because I want to be healthy. And so I can easily take my children and point them to negative examples. You want to eat like them? Do you want to live like that? Then here's the end result. This is what it'll be like. And you can do that, but you just can't do that being in my family. You have your own family, you can do that, but you can't do that while you're in my family. You still have authority. They have self-determination. That is still, they're still in the image of God. They still have that, even as a young child. So we're going to get to rebellion here uh, next week. We will have Sunday night service next week, by the way, because I won't be up, they're not having evening service up there. I'm not involved in that. So we will have it next week. So we're going to finish up growing in stature and really handle your questions next week. And so we have a responsibility to be examples. Here is Noah, the most righteous man on the planet, who has seen the, the wrath of God exterminate everything that, that takes breath except for what was on that boat. And here he is, he starts to be a farmer, and by overconsumption of alcohol, he brings this curse upon his part of humanity, the Canaan, his grandchild. And, and thus, Ham's line is, is a problem. And Shem and Japheth are blessed, and out of Shem, of course, we know Abraham. So when we look at this, we, we realize that it does matter. We have this influence on our children. We have the, the uh, responsibility to either bless them or curse them by our behaviors. And so our spending habits are very well known to your children. And in our family, they knew what was valued by us. And you could tell. Here's how you could tell in our family that many of our values were reflected in our children. Was that when we would have Christmas time and our kids started having their own money to spend. And every present that was opened... I remember this one Christmas. Every single present that was open, whoever gave it said, I only spent $3 for that at Walmart, at Thrift Town, um, or at a yard sale. Every single present open, the child had to declare how little they spent. Now, in most homes, that would be what? Offensive. You don't care about me enough spending money on me. In my house, it meant something very different. I was super frugal. I found this great deal. Why? Because mom and dad are all about the great deals. And that was communicated to our children. And so even in college and in high school, my kids are running around in, in all this Under Armour and all this stuff that they got at Thrift Town. And, and these other kids are spending $40 for something my kids spent four for. And, uh, and laughing at the other people. Why would you spend full price for that? 
um, because they recognize that's a value to us because we're trying to um, get more for less. And, and my son was bugging me this week because I, I got a laptop in the mail this week. It was, it was a gift, a, a MacBook Pro. And it just showed up. I paid nothing for it and didn't ever even ask for it. So um, my son go, this looks at me across the counter and says, more free stuff? What is it with you and free? And then, so that was like earlier this week. I was like, what, Thursday, Wednesday, or Thursday? Wednesday, Thursday, Wednesday, one of those days. So then Saturday, I've been looking for this deal with the straw. And so this, this uh, pumpkin patch thing down at Corza Montano, I had all the bales of straw, and I was like, oh, they got to do something with that when they're all done. You know, and so I've been kind of monitoring that, and sure enough, I, I heard about it, and, and I thought someone had already taken it all, and then found out Saturday during the yard sale that they still had some available. So I throw my keys at my son, and he has to drive down there and get me a pickup truck load of free straw, bales of straw. I don't know, we got like 28 bales of straw. So I'm sitting there, and Nathan Roberts looks at me and says, what's it with you and free? Do people just call you for, how do you know where everything free is? Um, Lord's good, isn't he? It's free is better than money because it's free. Okay, and so how, do we, how does that happen? Well, it becomes a value system that they, that they start to pick up on. And I want to communicate to them that you can enjoy life without having gobs of money. And I tell people, money has not ever been a limitation for me. The biggest limitation in my life is time. There's a lot of things I'd love to do. I just don't have time to do them. Not because I don't have capital, but because I don't have time. And that's why you'll hear me talk, if you work with me for any length of time, you say, yeah, on my, at the Bahamas or on my, any of this work around here, I'll say it. I need 20 Haitians. Because I need 20 hungry guys that want to work because um, I don't have the time to do all the things I'd like to do. Um, but it's not money that's ever helped. So that, those principles, those concepts are being communicated to your children. Our children understood very early on that the most exciting thing about gift giving is to find the best deal. And they picked up on that and they did that. And none of our family was offended that someone only spent $3 for a gift that they knew was worth maybe $25, maybe $40. What you spent wasn't the value of the gift, the, value, the worth of the gift. And so we found the deal. So these are the things you're communicating to your children in your diet, in your exercise, in your, in your, uh, in your um, uh, personal hygiene, and as they get older, um, in other more important, even more important areas. When we get into um, the relationship as they grow into their teen years, we've really talked more about younger ones. We get into the teen years, um, and this really comes into play here, of moral issues. Um, these should be well communicated to your children. They should know that our moral position, without a doubt, there is zero question in their mind morally where we would ever stand. There, is never, there, there are no gray areas in my home. There just aren't. There is moral rightness and there is moral wrongness. And that is never 
in doubt. And if my children ever got that, they didn't get it from watching my life or hearing me talk. All right? They never, they never picked that up. They would pick it up from some other place, but not from me. And so when we look at that, um, we recognize the need to be an example to our children in this area of stature, of our physical bodies and our material things, and that we um, communicate something very powerful to them, and we're also protecting them. That as a parent, you know, we all know pregnant women should not drink alcohol, right? We all know that, okay? Let me just put it down. Parent, you should not drink alcohol. Whether you're just pregnant and nursing is not the only time you should not be drinking it. Uh, you should not be using tobacco products, period. We all know that they are essentially unhealthy. All right, can I, and here we can see the disaster that comes upon Noah. Um, it wasn't the alcohol, technically it was, it was the overindulgence of it, but uh, we have much cleaner environments and we have, there, there's really no reason for it. Um, in some nations I go to, I'd prefer to have some wine with the water because the water's so bad. Um, and for health reasons, we recognize that. Um, but we don't really live in that kind of a setting now. And so when we look at that, what impact does this have on my children needs to be a priority in our living? And Noah didn't do that. You know, we can blame Ham for making fun of Dad and going and telling everybody instead of reflecting on it, saying, oh, this is bad. Oh, I shouldn't have looked. Um, and doing something to resolve it. But he laughed and went and got brothers and wanted to show brothers. Um, but, you know, there's a fault prior to that, and that is Noah wasn't a good example to his adult sons. These are adult sons. And so I still feel the weight that I'd be a good example to my children, even though they're all adults and have been for years and years and years. Um, I'm not just trying to be an example now to my grandkids. I'm trying to continue to be an example to my young adult children of a life of faith, a life of righteousness, a life of contentment and of joy, of love, all those things. And I try to portray that to them clearly because that is my life. I love my wife, and they need to know that. And so, yes, they have to deal with taking pictures of me kissing her all the time. And they posted on Facebook, said they're always kissing. So I can't ever get a picture without this. And they're embarrassed and ashamed even now. And, but they're not, really, I don't think. Be an example in this area of stature. Um, and so if you've got weight issues, um, fight that weight issue with your children. And um, I love to hear these families that when one person in a family has something happen, the whole family uh, says we will support them by doing this. So Wade's family is a good example. The first thing he told me getting out of the hospital, I have a lot of lifestyle issues that have to change now. Because <laughs> he had a heart attack, so you can't keep living the way you are. So you're going to have to have a little more exercise in your life. You're going to have to be a little more attentive to your diet. You're going to have to reduce your salt. And to, you know, these things are going to, well, his family can either say, good luck, buddy. Or they can all join him. And they'll all be healthier. Okay, and so hopefully that's our attitude, that if we have a child that has these needs, that we can join them. And so uh, we've had children with needs, and we try to address those and just not just say, well, that's too bad for you. We're going to do this. 
but rather that we, are, we can accommodate in a loving fashion one another. Any questions, comments in this? How do you deal with people that it's... What do you do with people who are very passionate about their special diet or their special lifestyle thing? And, and I, I'm going to address that very directly because I had family that were just exactly that. All right? And I have a friend that's in it now. And so um, it became, and, and I confronted them. I think if they're Christian people, you need to confront them. And you can confront them with the Bible. And that's what I'm trying to give you is some biblical uh, we, ways of confronting that. I've had to deal with it as a pastor as people come into the church and some are very passionate. It defines them almost. It becomes the defining part of their life is I have this special diet or I have this regiment and, and you should have, it becomes their gospel. Um, and my dad got into that. He got into it where um, that's all he could talk about, think about and that's all he preached to people and he and. It was the way he judged everybody by what, if they followed his back to the Eden diet. Um, and so I took God's word and I said, well, you're not going to be convincing to me, so give it a rest and hear how you deal with all these scriptures. Um, taking on a preacher's son is a really hard thing, and I, I, I feel bad for my dad sometimes um, because, um, you know, he caused something and, and you know, my first, thing, my first instinct when people do that is to go to the Bible and say, well, and just hammer it with the Bible. But they're passionate about these things. And the question is, why? Why are you so passionate about this? To the degree that you almost can't get along with anyone who doesn't share your passion. And I ask people, why? Why, why is this the defining uh, the, the way you want to define yourself. Why is this the defining element of who you are? And they usually have a background story. And it's really interesting to hear those background stories sometimes. And um, in this area, what I have experienced in, in hearing background stories of why they're so passionate about it, usually is because of a life-threatening event, an illness, injury, something happened, or, and, and basically fear-driven, um, or a trauma that happened in their life uh, through either a family member um, or uh, an event in their life. And, they, and you hear it long enough, you listen carefully enough, and you ask the right questions, you'll get it back to there's a certain trauma that initiated this passion, um, that is, especially if it's very distinct from their family raising. That, you know, all of a sudden your kid comes to the table and says, I'm a vegan. And it's like, well, where did this come from? Well, it came from somewhere. Um, at what point did you value animal life more than human life? At what point did you animal rights trump human rights? At what point did animals trump God in your life? Okay. And a lot of it is because what's interesting is how few farm-raised children are ever become vegans. Because <laughs> they're raised around animals. And I tried to raise my children that, that you know, it's okay to, 
to look at an animal and say, you look delicious, when they do look delicious. I remember Elizabeth walking out here and said, they look delicious. Right? You don't hardly remember that, do you? But I remember you coming out there and saying, we're going to eat you to that pig. Pastor's going to eat you. And is that a trauma? No. It is if you've never been exposed to it. And the first exposure you see is some PETA video from some slaughterhouse that is misinterpreted. And that's usually where it comes from. That trauma, that, a child abuse video that they'll show at school that they don't even understand. And I'll give you an example, quick example. A PETA video, okay? They went into a slaughterhouse and they showed this guy with this club. Well, it wasn't a club, and it was also described as a hammer. Um, it wasn't that. Going around hitting these animals in the head till they died. Well, that wasn't what was happening. That was, that's a very special tool in slaughterhouses. It is a hammer shotgun. So you hit it, boom, and it sends a charge, and it kills the animal that fast. It is actually a very good way to kill animals, and they just go through and boom, and charge it, boom, and there are shells in there. And so he's not hitting them with a hammer. Instead of carrying around a long gun with a barrel, they just have this where you can just hit it. It's a special tool for slaughterhouses. And I grew up in Austin, Minnesota, home of Hormel's. Okay? Or if you're from Austin, you say Hormel's. It's, is that? Spam. Okay. So part of my education was we took tours of the Hormel plant, including the slaughterhouse, um, because that was the industry of the town. <laughs> so my uncle worked in the canning part, you know, and so it was just, that's life and on the farm. And so um, here they were traumatizing these children, thinking these people are out there just beating on now. Are there some slaughterhouses with bad practices? Yes. Is that all there is? No. No, there isn't. And so are there some practices that kind of turn your stomach if you're not exposed, ever exposed to it in your whole life? Sure. But, on, but a lot of the problems are created because of the scale of mass slaughtering because we've taken raising your backyard, your meat in your backyard. We've taken that away. Okay, so I can be very humane because I'm only killing one animal for tonight's supper. Or maybe I'm killing, slaughtering one beef to put in the freezer. So I can be a lot more humane. I can be much more careful than someone who's trying to produce all this meat for an entire nation. And so, yes, I hate how they raise chickens. I hate how they raise this stuff in mass things. That's why I do it myself. Because I can make it cleaner. I can make it nicer. Um, but in the end, I still eat the animals. Okay, There's still food. And so you can track a lot of those passions back to those traumatic events or uh, things that happen in their life. But how do you deal with them? You got to communicate to them. You're being a little OCD on this and you're not going to convince me otherwise because I have another standard of truth than your experience and that standard of truth is God's word. And that standard trumps every other standard of man. And I just showed you the verse where God says you will eat anything that moves on the earth, which includes bugs. So, 
John the Baptist lived on locusts. It's a moving bug, a moving critter. Was not plant based. <laughs> Any other questions? Does that help? You just got to confront it and with your position, but recognize that there's a story behind it. I'd have them tell their story. Ask them why. Why are you so passionate about this? Why is this defining who you are? Why is this more important to you than Jesus Christ? Especially if they're a Christian. Any other questions? Comments? Be an example. Next week, we'll finish up with growing in stature with um, rebellion. And yes, they do rebel in this area. We'll talk about that a little bit. What happens when your child adopts an entire diff, entirely different idea of their body, especially in their teen years where they are being promiscuous, when they are being um, uh, wanting to experiment with drugs and alcohol, they want to get into uh, immodesty, they want to do all these other things. What do you do with that? So we're going to talk about that next week more. Any others? Let's have a word of prayer. Get out of here. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. And even the negative, the bad examples, like a righteous man like Noah. And Lord, we thank you for uh, this account that you give, the, the truth of what really happened there and that we might be warned by it. And, and Lord, that we can either increase in wisdom by going through these bad things or we can learn from others who have have made these mistakes and avoid them. And Lord, we know that you desire us to avoid them uh, by learning from others. And Lord, we pray that we might learn from Solomon, learn from David, learn from uh, Noah in this case, and, and just uh, be better parents, more godly parents, more biblical parents. Lord, we'll make our own mistakes, and we need your help uh, to give us wisdom in, in admitting that before our children and our spouses and and of correcting that action. Uh, Lord, we know that ultimately um, our hope is in you, and we put our children and in our, your hands and pray that you might guard their young hearts and minds uh, from the evil one and from this world, and that we might uh, show them as well as teach them your ways. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.